1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Performing Arts, a podcast from the New Books Network. Uh, Today I'm speaking with Father Ron Murphy about his book, Brecht and the Bible, a study of religious nihilism and human weakness in Brecht's drama of morality and the city. Ron, welcome to the program.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Very happy people are still interested in Brecht. And, uh... Not just in Europe, but here too. So I, I was really intrigued when I saw the
0: title of your book, um, Brecht and the Bible. I mean, it it sort of seems on, on on its surface as implausible as writing a book called like Aquinas and Astrophysics or something like yep, that. Exactly,
1: <laughs> I understand that. Well, it was. Uh, it's a surprising. And I decided, well, since this is a surprising project and a surprising insight, I think, uh, I'm going to sort of put it up front and say Brecht and the Bible. It turns out I'm not the only one to have said Brecht was very interested in the Bible. A lot of other scholars have, especially in Europe. And they uh, kind of insist that it's, yes, of course he uses the Bible in order to satirize it. Now, that's where I had to disagree with him. Uh, You've got to make a distinction. He satirizes the Bible when it's dealing with certain themes in his plays, like hypocrisy, obviously. But when it comes to dealing with death, suffering, or people vacillating back and forth between trying to make money and stay alive and trying to be a good parent to their children, uh, there his use of the Bible gets very serious. And that's what surprised me and made me actually very much enjoy reading him. Uh, he's not simple, and uh, all attempts to produce him in a simple-minded manner like that end up falling flat and making Brecht look like he's just another one of those pedantic people who like to shout, against the church and against scripture or for the church and for scripture and he's not he's not at all he's one of those good solid classical type poets believe it or not who's solidly rooted in the human condition and i think uh, if any greek ancient tragedians had seen his stuff they would recognize a distant cousin That's, modern folks have a little trouble with that probably. And so when they put uh, Brecht on, and I'm thinking mainly of Mother Courage, which is my favorite play of Brecht's play. Uh, Really, they put it on as if it had to be made into a war protest, anti-war. And uh, yes, it is that but it's more, it's more. Why do you get involved in war? And why do ordinary middle-class people making a living off one business or another, let themselves be dragged into war? And his play tries to bring home the realization is because they don't realize the cost and the cost of going along with war is going to be nothing less than your children, especially the boys. But your children.
0: Could you give us a short sense of kind of your own history? And I mean, you're, you're an ordained priest as well as a scholar. How did you become interested in making religion your your profession? Uh, and and how did you become interested in Brecht in that context?
1: It's interesting. Well, I became very interested, uh, I guess, from really from grammar school and high school. I was always extremely fascinated, uh, not so much by clergy or, or by becoming a clergyman. Now, it was the Mass itself. It, it was the sacraments, the presence of God, the presence of Christ in the sacrament. And that's what really made me be interested in uh, priesthood itself. And then uh, when I was a graduate student at Harvard, I realized that over the past years of my education, I had always taken any chance possible to write about Brecht or about one of his plays. And uh, I suggested to the department head when my time came for dissertation, I really would like to write about Brecht. And he asked me your question What's a Catholic priest doing being interested in Bertolt Brecht? So I said, uh, I find him extremely interesting. And he said, Well, but he's a Marxist. And I said, He is far more than a Marxist. He is far more than a communist. And uh, let me show you that, if you will. And he said, Finally, he gave in and said, Okay, go ahead. You can do that. That's your topic. But I'm going to have a hell of a time finding somebody around here willing to direct you, but I will try. When he did, he found Henry Hatfield, uh, who was a Thomas Mann scholar, but who was willing to direct a dissertation on Bright. And he, he was very demanding, and I liked that. And he read everything, uh, word for word, that I wrote told me he really liked my chapter on mother courage, which made me extremely happy. And uh, well, that way it, it got accepted. It was uh, a very, it was a sort of a triumph. He had the same skepticism too. How could a priest be possibly interested in a communist author uh, like Bert Brecht? And then I, I said to him the same thing. There's far more to him than communism or Marxism, uh, he writes human tragedy. But the problem is for many people, he writes human tragedy as being caught between the need uh, to use philosophical language, the need to preserve your existence by doing business, and the need to be a mother, a father, a son, or a daughter. uh, If that comes into conflict, Then you're caught between the two. And that fascinated me because Mother Courage has both parts in her name. She's a mother, and she has children, and she's Courage, the businesswoman who drove through the bombardment of Riga because the loaves of bread in her wagon were starting to get moldy. Uh, That's going to be an amazing conflict, and... Brecht was a master of showing how human beings have to hold both of those together. And when push comes to shove, we vacillate back and forth between earning a living and supporting your family and then choosing between the lives of the members of your family or death. Uh, Pretty emotionally satisfying, I would say, because it fits the modern situation of where people stand. And that's one of the reasons I think that it should play well in America, but doesn't because it's, it's often at least produced in a much too didactic anti-war kind of way. And I forget there's a more basic human dilemma at the bottom of it. That's, I guess, a little bit long of an answer, but that's part of it anyway. No, no, that's great.
0: Um, one of you mentioned that Brecht was obviously a Marxist, but that that doesn't that's not the totality of who he was as an artist or as a thinker. Um, but it's its also true that there are moments in kind of the classical Marxist texts of sympathy with certain aspects of Christianity. I'm, I'm thinking of um, Engel's writings on the, the, the peasant wars, which were, you know, religiously inspired uprisings, obviously. Um, is, is Brecht kind of in that tradition of looking at the kind of egalitarian spirit uh, of, of you know, certain types of Christianity and, and finding some kinship in that? Uh,
1: that is a very good question, but I would have to say for Brecht, there is a more important question down the same line uh, remember in almost all of his plays especially the very first play he ever wrote which is called the bible the bible uh, he wrote that as a 15 year old and the, one of the latest was mother courage written at the beginning of world war ii uh, in all of them you have a religious war as the standard background in which people are living their lives and it's almost always catholic versus protestant that's like the prime analogy that he uses for trying to stay alive in warfare it shouldn't be it shouldn't happen uh and yes he is somewhat in line with the christianity uh, friendly writings of uh marx and Lenin. They all were very impressed, in a way, by the book of the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, which says that everyone held everything in common. And in the beginning of Christianity, with a small group near Jerusalem, that was probably true, or at least they tried. But it did not last long, and uh, it it was unable to be sustained. It wasn't something... Christ himself ever taught or advocated, but it was certainly advocated by the early church, and people, according to the same book of Acts, uh, were cheating on it, even in the beginning, and Peter got very angry at the guy who was doing it. Uh, so yeah, there is a certain secret uh, liking of Christianity, and that's very true with Brecht, too, but that I think... The chief theme that Brecht steers towards is not Christianity's friendliness towards communal living or communism itself, it's uh, Christianity's conflict, not just Catholic versus Protestant, but its conflict of how to be in this world and how to be Christian in this world. It doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Protestant. If you're a mother or a father, you're gonna have to go to work. If you're gonna have to go to work, you're gonna have to leave your children. And you could say from a very idealistic point of view, but that's terrible. You should never walk away from your children to earn the almighty dollar. Well, now wait a minute. I also have to feed those children. And so Brecht uses as one of his great themes, the need to eat. Uh, in German, it's Essen, and he uses Essen again and again in his songs and in his uh, many poems and in his arguments, the need to eat. And that is taken care of by earning money. If you want to see how that shows up in poetry or, and in the poetry above all of Mother Courage, it's her wagon. The very first time I saw Mother Courage down on the stage, was done by uh, students at Harvard. It was a wonderful production, but most wonderful, and what surprised me the most, was when the wagon was wheeled onto the stage at the beginning of the first act. <coughs> Excuse me. The audience stood up and applauded for the wagon. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And it wasn't Mother Courage they were applauding for because she was still inside the flap of the wagon and you couldn't see her they were applauding the wagon as a principal character well that made me think a lot and then later i realized you don't get mother courage without getting the wagon you cannot get a living human being without getting all the huge baggage that they must wheel behind them to earn a living to stay alive Existence is very important even though, this is Thomist sounding, even though existence is extremely important to us and is provided for us by food, by money to buy food, and by businesses such as the wagon to earn the money to get the food. Still what we are, loving creatures, is equally important, or maybe just a little less, because first comes. This is another song of Recht, First comes Essen, dann kommt die Moral. And you know he is. He's saying first you got to eat, then you can be right or wrong, then you can practice morality. Uh, but you got to eat first, and he uh, he uses the animal word in German. For, to eat, which is Faisen. Uh, we don't have that in English, but it's it's uh, it implies that the animal urge in us to eat in order to stay alive must first be taken care of before you can worry about falling in love or not falling in love or any of the other things or being a loving parent or an unloving parent. That's all. Next. First uh, comes food. Second comes morality and some people get uh, very upset at that, say therefore he's not very Christian at all. I say therefore he is very human, he is a humane poet, he is falling back on the old Greek thing. The object of poetry and of poets is to hold up the mirror so that we can see ourselves in our human condition and not keep imagining ourselves according to what our intellect tries to tell us about what we really are. So we're not angels. Uh, we're living, eating human beings, according to Brecht, with all that that implies. And what that implies in our day and age is business. We've got to work, got to hold a job, you have to have income, uh, and he shows us the conflict. Well, everybody knows it who has kids go to school and then to uh, go to work. There's nobody in the house until the kids come home and then sometimes they're all alone until the parents get home or a parent gets home. There, there is a difference there. And it's not the usual religion or anti-religion, I, I would say. It's really how to you be a living human being and a moral human being at the same time. Uh, the tension there is where Brecht is very, very much at home. Yeah. Uh, there is another scene in Mother Courage that might might bring out how Brecht is in the middle there between those two extremes of where we are and where we live. One of her sons is taken prisoner. He is the treasurer for... The Protestant army and Catholic soldiers have taken him prisoner. And they're threatening to execute him. Uh, they're trying to torture him to get him to tell him where he threw the treasure away. But right now they want him to do it. And they threaten to put him to death. A messenger comes. This sounds like Greek again. A messenger comes and tells Mother Courage uh, they're going to execute him but the uh, commander is a human being, he's bribable. He wants 200, 300, I forget what it is, golden. And if you give him that, he will release your son. Well, she practically tears her hair out because that's the whole value of her wagon. Uh, So what does she do? She tries to give him half. She sends the messenger back again, and says, it's a, a lady with pink shoes and tells Yvette, uh, offer him half. And then she goes, and then a few moments later, Yvette comes back and says he won't take half. He wants the whole thing or else your kid goes. Now, that really is a dilemma for her. That's how she supports herself and her kids, uh, the living ones at least, Uh is off of the business conducted out of her wagon. And so now which would you choose if you were a parent in her position? And, of course, she makes the only choice you can. she tells the messenger, go back, tell him I'll give him the whole thing, the whole amount. And then she goes off to tell him that. And meanwhile, Mother Courage sort of mutters to herself, I'll find some other way, I'll find some other way to make business and make money. And lo and behold, after a few seconds, you hear a very loud shot in the background. And that means Mother Courage haggled, delayed, hesitated, just a little bit too long. Not too, too, too long, but just a little bit too long. And they shot our son. That hesitation is, for Brecht, very, very important. We human beings have to always vacillate between those two things. How do you preserve our existence? How do you preserve us as loving, moral people? Uh, I think it's amazingly well written. It occurs in different ways throughout the play, but. That scene in which she tries to bargain like a good businesswoman for the life of her son uh, seems very fine to me and very well written, nicely composed. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's wonderful. One of the things you mentioned is that the conflict in uh, Brecht's plays that take place um, amidst wars of religion is often Catholic versus Protestant. And we could say, well, that's because that was the reality of the religious wars of Germany, but you point out a a possible autobiographical connection there, could you
1: tell us what that is? Uh, Yes, I think it is uh, probably the origin of where he gets that as a a good device in which to uh, depict the environment. His own family was Catholic and Protestant. His father was a very open, liberal leaning Catholic uh, who came from the Black Forest. And Brecht often considered himself to be something from the Black Forest, even a tree from. The black forest but they didn't live there they lived in a big city they lived in augsburg in southwest germany um but he didn't consider that sort of well sometimes he did when he wrote about the city but his it's interesting that his father was a catholic now his mother's family were lutheran and very staunch lutherans and not exactly liberal like the father was, was very staunch and they insisted he get a good Protestant uh, education. And so he went to the public school. They had to take religion courses, everybody did in those days. And uh, it was later reported of him that he was so good at the scripture classes that he had, that he could recite whole huge sections of scripture by heart, not even looking at a page in the Bible. And in a way, that sort of tells you the amazing effect that it had on him. Another effect uh, coming from that kind of family was interesting because during World War One, uh, he, he was sort of—he was too young to be drafted into the army, but they drafted him into uh, medical service as a kind of. Uh, Factotum, he had to run around in one of the hospital wards. Basically, it was the venereal disease award. Uh, but that increased a certain pacifism in him that he almost got kicked out of school for. Uh, they found out about it because he submitted little essays and uh, that he wrote against the war, against fighting as the war of Germany was fought, World War I, the motto of the Kaiser uh, was Gott mit uns, God is with us, God's on our side. Well now I'm sure the French had the same thought. Brecht thought that was amusing because, well not exactly fun, but ironic. Here you have, uh, in his plays, always the Thirty Years' War, so you can make the war itself ironic. It's ironic that followers of Christ should group themselves into two fighting armies, Catholic and Protestant. Yes, it did happen in history. So Brecht could say it is indeed a fact that Christians are more influenced either by an ideology or by business, to fight than they are by their very Christianity not to fight. So Christianity is busy saying blessed are the peacemakers. That's what Christ said, Sermon on the Mount. And then what happens to Christianity, instead of being blessed peacemakers, they divide into two warring nations, Germany and France. So Brecht, I think, wanted to emphasize that these were religious wars and, you know, therefore both sides could feel that these are pleasing to God because they are religious wars being fought for him. Uh, And Brecht saw that as the usual stupid uh, human unawareness of what's going on. Uh, Does that answer your question a little bit?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, as part of your research for this book, you examined Brecht's actual copy of the Bible. Um, what did you find when you examined that that
1: book? Well, that's an interesting story in itself. Uh, it actually had to do with, with publication of that dissertation. And when I had to fix it a little bit so it was slightly less academic, and I wanted to publish it. And I got a couple universities, especially Princeton, was very interested in publishing it. Uh, But they all agreed we need proof, some kind of proof if possible. Uh, Although in studies of literature, it is very rare that you can prove anything in an interpretation. So what I did was I decided to go to Germany, and check out the Brecht Museum, which is not really a museum, it's his house in East Berlin. Uh, I didn't think there would be any trouble. It really wasn't too much, but uh, I called up. I had gone to Trier, which is in West Germany. I went to Trier and taught summer school for Georgetown in order to earn my passage back and forth across the Atlantic. And uh, I phoned the head of the Brecht Archive there. was a very wonderful woman named Hertha Ramtun, and I told her I'm looking for his Bible. Uh, Can you tell me, have you seen it there? And she said, uh, no, and I know his uh, whole collections, but uh, what I will do is hang up, and I'll call you back in a half hour. I'll look all over the place for it. So she did, and uh, she said, uh, before she hung up, she managed to say, I'm a little surprised that you think he would have. And I said, I I am (laughs) surprising a lot of people, but I think he has so many quotes. They cannot just be from simple memory. I think he had a copy. So uh, she said, all right, I don't think so myself, but I will go look. So she did. She came back to the phone a half hour later, called me in Trier and said, uh, Professor Murphy, I am so very sorry. Uh, I looked all over the place. Now I even looked in the book catalog. We have a collection of uh, catalog cards in which every book of his in this house is listed. And I looked under Biba. I looked under Holy Scripture. Uh, I could find nothing. I said, well, thank you very much. Let me make one last suggestion. Can you get up to his bedroom and could you poke around in his bedroom if he has any books there uh, next to his pillow on the bed? Well, sure enough, that was the right guess. Um, She said, of course, I'll do it. Uh, I'll be right back. And I said, very good, this time I'll call you. in a half hour, so I did. I called her back, and she shouted when she answered the phone, Professor Murphy, I remember what she said. She said, recht, you're right, you're right. I found it, I found it, and I said, where was it? And she said, right where you said it would be. It was in his bedroom, it was next to his bed, it was with the American criminal novels that he used to read every single night. So, he looks like he also read the Bible while he read the uh, murder mysteries. And uh, so I said, Can you tell me what Bible it is? And she said, Well, it's it's the Luther translation. Of course, that's the best one in Germany and it used all the time by anyone in writing in German literature. And uh, she said, It was printed, though, in England, of all things by the British uh, Foreign Bible Society, and published in something like 1926. And uh, I said, well, that is simply wonderful. And I said, now I have more good news for you. He used his pencil to mark all kinds of places and spots, and even more, I hope you're seated. He signed it. He signed it on the fly leaf, and he dated it. And I believe the date was 1928. The book was almost brand new uh, when he bought it. And the nice thing about it for him, too, was it was a thin paper edition, uh, sort of like what today would be considered almost a a large paperback size. It was something that he could carry around without being obvious about it, and he could use it when he was writing. So uh, that's how I found it and then i went through to see all the spots and this wonderful woman had typed up every single spot where brecht had noted something and she uh, handed me two typewritten sheets of paper with every single quotation where brecht had put a check mark in the in the margin of the bible or where he had underlined or we, where he had placed a uh, little piece of paper to mark uh, a page that he had been reading. Anyway, he used it a lot, as that's what that pretty much said to me. And it, it backed up some of the things, too, that I, from reading his works, I said, Brecht has to have his own uh, version of the Bible. He can't be running to a library for this, or he he can't be relying totally on his high school memory to know all of these biblical citations. So he had one, he used it, I've got a copy right here in front of me, uh, and it's been proven. Then the tail end of the story is, and then uh, it was at the University of North Carolina at the time in Chapel Hill, and I told the editor, She, uh, he said, I, I need proof, and I said, I have proof. I'm going to send it to you. So I sent him, all of this material. And he said, how rare it is in our profession that we ever find proof for literary interpretations. And you have found yours. So he said, I guarantee you, I will publish it as soon as I get the reports back from the outside readers, whether or not they like it. Well, I appreciate him <laughs> saying that. But he got two very good reports back from the outside readers. So It was published uh, in the German Quarterly, soon thereafter. And the book itself uh, was published, I guess, in 1980, Brecht in the Bibles, by uh, Chapel Hill. And uh, it's still in print, as you mentioned. Uh, It's been reprinted now in paperback. I only have one regret, in a way. Uh, I should have taken my time and translated all of the German quotes from Brecht's uh, plays and some of his private statements and translated them into English, but I didn't do it because at that time I was only thinking, this is really for scholars. I'm I'm not sure if anyone else would want to look into it. I think I was mistaken. Uh, But that's right. People know a little German. They they can get through it without any trouble. So I tell myself.
0: It seems like one of the themes in Brecht that you draw out is kind of the theme of the futility of human effort in the face of death. This strikes me as more, obviously, a Christian theme than a Marxist theme. Would you say that's true?
1: I think so. I don't want to comment on the Marxist side, but I do think uh, the problem of death, life after death, if possible, uh, is something that for Brecht in his whole life, it was the major adversary of the human race because he thinks of us as individuals, uh, not as a commune, although communes too can die. Uh, Communities can die off. But for Brecht, the really basic evil that we face and must face is, is death and in a way it ties many of his themes together. His, his basic theme of we must eat and we must do business in order to eat. Why? To fend off death. You don't eat, you starve, you die. Death is the enemy, death is what's waiting. In his poetry he uses the wind between the trees as his, one of his big symbols for death. It's always moving, it's always there, it's invisible, you can't see it, it isn't anything. The trees are there, but the trees feel it, and the trees shake when they feel the wind blowing through them, even though no one can see what this wind is. And he was very much, I guess from childhood on, this never went away, and becoming a Marxist, as, as you're saying, did not in any way help him get out of interest in that theme. One of the things that you can see in some of the photographs of his childhood home, he lived, uh, his bedroom, I guess, was up near the attic. Uh, he always kept a skull on his desk, which surprised me because that seems very medieval, like something a medieval monk might be depicted as having on his desk, But or a saint. But there's Brecht. Uh, always thought of as sarcastic, but he was not sarcastic about the power of death. He he knew we hold it off at arm's length by working so that we can eat, so that we can live on, but we're going to lose the battle eventually. And in a way, he's operating from that as the fundamental human tragedy that none of us can escape from, we uh, cannot escape. Is that Christian? Well, it is Christian, but it's also good solid pagan. Uh, I guess in the Greek tragedies, which I I think are more important than we acknowledge in, in good poetry and tragedy especially, is always lurking in the background, even if the theme might be blindness, uh, Oedipus blinding himself because he didn't see who he really was and what he had done. Uh, nonetheless, death is always lurking in the background, something like you might find in uh, Homer's Iliad especially. Death is always uh, taking away a Trojan or a Greek. And so, you know, in, in the classical world, there were two types of living beings. One was the immortals, the gods, and the other was the mortals, and so they had no hesitation to call us mortals. In the modern world you would get total so negative or something like that. But uh, no, I think he had something of the classical mentality. I am a mortal trying to keep moors at a slight distance. I don't want to die right away, I will one day. He did in 1956. You can't, communism won't help you keep it away. Christianity will not help you keep it away, but it will help you make it, according to Christian beliefs, into a passover and you will pass over into the next world. Even being good, being good is no guarantee of getting rid of death. You can be good all you want, you can be bad all you want. As far as death is concerned, you're just waiting for him to come. And uh, so, moral questions, which both Christianity and Marxism are concerned with, are for Brecht extremely important but secondary. The main question is. Death and life, and death really does get us, uh, although it'll go on, Mother Courage will go on buying and selling, even though she's managed to kill her own kids by having a business that profited from war and kept them much too close to the dangerous thing that war is until the kids finally get sucked up into it and die. She though is so tough, she's able to pull her own wagon further, although death will be waiting for her too, but the end of Mother Courage is not really Katrin's sacrifice of goodness on the roof, for which she gets shot, and which shot warns the city that besiegers are coming, but Mother Courage then holds her dead child in a sort of pieta position, covers her, and then pays the peasants money to bury her and take care of her, while Mother Courage grabs the yoke of her wagon, calls out to the regiment, take me with you, take me with you, and that's how the play ends, with her uh, pulling her wagon off hoping, I guess, that the war will stay on so she can keep making a business, a life, a living off of it.
0: Well, Ron, I think that's a great place to end our conversation. I want to thank you once again for being on New Books and Performing Arts. And the book, once again, is Brecht and the Bible, now out in a handsome paperback edition from UNC Press. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks so much for liking Brecht, <laughs> and thanks for inviting me.